You're listening to Fight in Progress. With your hosts and stress coaches, founder of Under the Shield, Susan Simmons, and TomTheBomb.com. Fight in Progress grapples with the internal and external struggles in the daily lives of our men and women in law enforcement, the armed forces, and first responders. Tackling the tough topics and supporting those who support us. We hear you, and we're here for you. Welcome back to Under the Shield presents Fight in Progress. I've been gone for a couple of weeks. You have been. And I was not on vacation. <laughs> so don't even try to go down that road. <laughs> nope, I, I wasn't that, going That there. ain't going to work. Sorry. <laughs> no, if I were on vacation, I'd have stayed on vacation. <laughs> <laughs> I don't blame you. Because once I get out of here, I ain't coming back. <laughs> and and our producer is is here with us today also. Hello, everyone. How's Susan it? has been on vacation. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you wish. <laughs> Joelle, I used to like you till I found out you were messing with my headphones and you're acting like you're acting. So I don't understand. <laughs> it keeps it fun yeah, for yeah. me. Whatever. Uh, update. I finished my chemo three weeks ago tomorrow. Well, phase Big one. round of applause for that one. Yes, phase one. Yes. <laughs> Tomorrow I start phase two and radiation. Yippee! Right, <laughs> right smart get the want, want, want. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. That would have been more appropriate. <laughs> yeah, so hopefully the side effects will be getting out of my system in the next. I'm hearing. Two months to six months. And I was like, Jeez. the person said six months. I was like, I'm, I'm going to yeah, slap you for that. Exactly. Uh, but anyway, so life's changing and we're doing good. And my puppy is growing up quite rapidly. She's yeah. 60 pounds in six months. And oh, good Lord, who thought that was a good idea? Yeah, well, you must have. No, I think y'all <laughs> talked me into it. I tried to tell the vet it was his idea yesterday, and he was like, ah, let me check my notes yeah. on that. <laughs> I don't think, and then he gives me the good news. He goes, you only have another year and a half, and things will get better. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, That's right. two years with this dog? I don't know. We'll see. I'm on the downslope with mine. Yeah, smart ass. Don't <laughs> yeah, show off. Whatever. <laughs> Anyway, we have a great guest today that I'm excited to hear all about because, again, I've kind of been out of the loop a little bit. But this is a book that I assume you and Tracy have had the opportunity yes, to read. We have. The and book is called Girl at Sea. Nice. And she's going to be a hero of mine because any woman that takes on a man's world like I have to <laughs> is going to be my new hero. So, Right. So our guest today is Joanna Walters. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's really a pleasure to be here. Well, we're excited to hear all about your adventures. And before we started recording, she was telling me about she's crazy, too, because she yeah. likes to climb these mountains and things mm -hmm. that were never on my bucket list of things to do. Well, even in her book, she pushes herself hard to do a lot of things and she keeps going. And yeah, she's she's one of those people that I think has to have a schedule on her phone uh -huh. because trying to, you know, keep up with her lifestyle from what I read was would be pretty difficult. Well, and and there's a there's a man in, in the background <laughs> here also that we're gonna learn something about. And apparently he has to keep up with her too. So Yeah, good luck. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but welcome to the show. Tell us about yourself, Joanna. Well, let's see. Um I just turned fifty this year, so it's No, you did not. Perfect. Yes, no, I did. Wow. I, I swear. Uh, yeah. I, 35, maybe. Yeah. Wow. Oh, you can just keep buttering. 
yeah. Um, now you're yeah, making no, me feel I, bad, though, because I'm not but 14 years older, and I look like I could have given birth to you. So, Okay, first off, you do not, and you are such a resilient fighter, and I love that about you. Just I don't even know you yet, but hearing what you've been going through and the contagious laugh and smile you have, um, it's wonderful. So, you know, you're, you're good company and it takes one to know one sister. That's all <laughs> well, thank you. I'll just tell you the Phoenix officers that know me all felt sorry for the cancer when they found out I had breast cancer. They were like, Oh crap, that's not going to work out well for cancer. <laughs> um, but to answer your question, I'm a class of 94 grad from the U S Naval Academy. And when I was uh, coming through, we service selected at the time in January and combat exclusion and exclusion had just been lifted nice. in November of 93. And so we were the first class of women to have to select warfare specialties if we were physically qualified. And I ended up going surface warfare. I almost um, I almost went Marine Corps, uh, decided nearly at the last minute not to. Um, whole other story, but you know, it was, it was a rather interesting time. Um, when I got to my first ship, I was the third woman on board. And when I got to my next ship, I was the first and only woman on board until we integrated. Didn't even have my own head. Um, I eat bathroom. Uh, <laughs> well, wait a minute. How many flip. women were in that class that, that would apply to? Uh, okay. So we had 1200 in our class and we started with 120 women we graduated with just under 90 so uh -huh. like i think we graduated with 80 something mm -hmm. in my class and uh, we've already had three admirals which is amazing and we've got wow. i've got a classmate who is a congresswoman over in new jersey uh, mikey sherrill and mm -hmm. i'm in great company with some amazing people and it was a hard place to be at and a wonderful place to be from. I, it's part of my DNA. I like to think we share the same DNA. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so it's, it's been an interesting road for sure. sure. Um, Did you come from a military family? My dad was an enlisted Marine during Vietnam. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, I mean, a lot of my family before him served, but uh, not like I grew up as a military kid, you know, picking up every couple of years. I did not. Um, so going to the Academy at the time, I was recruited to swim all over the country. Um, but going to the Academy at the time really, uh, <laughs> was a rude awakening for me. Um, I wouldn't say I was a girly girl by any means, cause I was always just really an athlete, but, um, did I know ships and aircrafts like <laughs> forward to back or weapons about a stern on a Spruance class destroyer or, be a little molecule of air through an LM2500 gas turbine engine? No, <laughs> I did not know any of I don't of understand why you, we, we all know that. I have no yeah, idea. that's what, common knowledge. What Come on. she was just talking about. But, <laughs> but I have to ask, how did daddy, the Marine, feel about daughter, female going into it at that time and being able to select warfare kind of stuff? He was really proud of me. I bet. Um, my parents were always incredibly supportive. Uh, my mom passed away in 2021. I'm in uh, 2011. Sorry. I was thinking the 10 year mark. Yeah. So she passed away quite a while ago. Um, mm -hmm. But my dad, like they were always incredibly supportive of everything I've done. Um, I could pick my dad's voice out of hundreds or thousands in a mm -hmm. swim competition <laughs> when I came up for air. And 
you know, we had that kind of a relationship. So I was really, I feel like I'm blessed in the parent department and, and that's pretty great. I don't know that my Marine would say necessarily blessed in the parent department, but he would say (laughs) he could pick his mother's voice out of a hockey crowd. He was a goalie. And so, yeah, I I, I get it. (laughs) You know, and she's talking about picking her dad's voice out at swimming. She was quite a swimmer. I mean, she's all American. She was, see, you missed the Olympic trials, but you placed third in nationals. Wow. Right? Yeah. I mean, she, yeah. yeah. So now you went to Annapolis, but you were also recruited by the Air Force Academy and um, West Point. West Point. So why did you decide Annapolis? Great question. I was recruited by a lot of other schools too. Right. But um, I had a fantastic guidance counselor in high school and he kind of pulled me aside and he was like, I think this is one of the best opportunities our country has to offer. And a lot of people don't know about them. And of course my dad was like, Oh, my daughter might go to the Naval Academy. That would be great. (laughs) And so I decided to pursue it, but I still wasn't sure. And, um, the Navy coach kept calling and calling and calling. (laughs) And the West Point coach was like, Oh, she's in the bag. We had such a great recruiting visit. She's not, she's coming to West Point for sure. But I was like, oh, it's gray and it's dark and it's on this mountain. Right. There. <laughs> Annapolis is on the water and I like the ocean and I could go Marine Corps or Navy. And, um, you know, the way the way it worked out, uh, I had a, a definitive moment where I really almost went Marine Corps to the point um, I literally had created an internship for myself at headquarters Marine Corps Public Affairs. And. That was interesting because of the fact that um, I was able to do that. And then when I was there at the Pentagon coming in one morning, I ran into um, a special person in my life who had put on a star and become an admiral. And he was at the National Military Command Center and he spent a day with me. And he kind of mapped out this dotted line plan of Mm. a a way I could stay and go Navy. And I decided to do it. Um, and he told you about the so, noceums at Paris Island, and it talked you right out of it, didn't it? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, really, it was more like I thought at the time that the Marine Corps was even harder on women. And I had had some experiences because I did the whole summer training workup before senior year, first class year at the academy. And so I, I wasn't really sure. Um, I thought I was going to go Marine Corps. Like, I really was part of that whole group of people. And I ended up not, uh, at like less than two weeks before <laughs> service election. Surprise. So Surprise. Uh, and so then I ended up on a Spruins class, Spruins class destroyer, and then a tank landing ship, um, and then finished up at great lakes. Um, and then to round out your other question, I've got probably one of the most unique, colorful life tapestries. I'll say it that way. So was a naval officer, um, Worked for Procter and Gamble, got my MBA. Uh, then was home with two little girlies who are now 17 and 19. <laughs> and then um, did some real estate investing. Co-wrote a course that was sold across the country, and was really just home with my kids and fl- fixing and flipping some homes, which I enjoyed a lot. Um, went through a divorce, and then after the divorce, um, wanted to really hit it out of the park, mm-hmm. and I became part owner. Uh, and eventually CEO of a casino wow. in wow. Cripple Creek. And so if, you know, you think that 
the Navy and at the time surface warfare was male dominated and the Academy, we were 10% of women there. Um, the casino industry, especially <laughs> ownership, very rarely do you see that. Um, right. And, you know, unfortunately it was, it was a very unique, special experience. Um, we opened in August of, let's see, 2012 and we did not make it through the winter. Um, and it was, on the backside of Pikes Peak, so 94, 94 feet, which is significant because yeah. I was class of 94. <laughs> so I thought that was a sign for me sure. to do the casino. And we had 135 people working for us at our peak, um, but unfortunately we were severely underfunded. Mm. And I, you know, except for in the classical sense of the word as a gambler, like an entrepreneur, um, I really was not a big gambler. So that was kind of different for me. Um, did that. Uh, it was a devastating loss when sure. we closed, um, especially unwinding a multi-million dollar company with mm -hmm. so many um, implications in terms of, you know, the red tape and the division of gaming. And, wow. you know, it was really a, a massive thing. Um, and after that, I wrote my book. Um, it's time for that to come out of me and, and then have run Wish Rock Relaxation since. And so I, I sell high-end relaxation equipment and literally um, just put in a, a nine-chair bid for massage chairs to the VA in the Rocky Mountain region. So hopefully some of our veterans will be getting some of our chairs shortly, which would be awesome. Uh, oh. I'd like to volunteer <laughs> to try your equipment. <laughs> we that need that great. in the Under the Shield office. <laughs> what, is, what is your company called again? It's called Wish Rock Relaxation, and we are um, experts in high-end relaxation equipment like massage chairs, um, zero-gravity recliners, lift chairs, near-infrared saunas, um, that kind of thing. And I'm wow. hoping to add some other fun items too. I, I'm a, a bit of a biohacker on the side. I, I like to learn new things and I want to add cold, cold plunge tanks in the near future and anything else that is going to help us optimize our health and kind of turn back time a bit. Now, did you say lift chair? Is that for stair yeah. use for old people? Because no, I'm uh, waiting for these guys to say <laughs> I need that. But at least I'm in a one-story house, so just checking. <laughs> no, it's probably the kind of chair that you, helps you stand up. Y'all would say that, that I need that too. But well, you think that you think that it's just for super old people, but actually they're so incredibly comfortable. I got them for my parents, and they don't need them. Um, but you know what it does is it removes all the pressure from your spine. And so, you know, normal recliners, you kind of slump in it like uh -huh. this, right? Uh -huh. But in a lift chair, when you recline back while lifting the legs to heart level, it literally will take all the pressure off the spine. It's incredibly comfortable. <laughs> and, you know, they've come a long way. Um, mm. And so, like, my dad doesn't use the lift, but um, his partner or girlfriend, you know, she sometimes does, but doesn't, doesn't need it that often, but the chairs have still been a godsend. And so mm. they're just really comfortable. So it's healthier really for your organs and everything and how you're positioned in the chair as well. It sounds like, because you're not so. down in it. Right. Right. No, I think so. Yeah. We could use I one of those here. Too. About stuff, uh, especially the near infrared, which is good for detoxification and that kind of thing. Nice. Mm. So tell us about the book. Okay. Well, the first part um, that I want to share is that I originally, I was an English major at the academy and always kind of thought I had at least one book in me. Um, and so when I was looking at that, 
um, I canvassed a group of female Naval Academy surface warfare officers to see if it, anyone would be interested in doing a conglomeration of sea stories. And at the time, it was before Me Too, and there's a culture of, I think it probably easily transcends and transfers into women that are, you know, in the police force or the fire department as well. Um, we don't ask for help quite as much. We're always gutting it out with the guys. Mm -hmm. We try to let everything roll off our back. And so that nothing kind of um, really, you try to let not take it personally uh, and you don't really ask for help. And you also don't want to show your vulnerability. Yep. And I kind of suck at that part because I'm pretty genuine and open. <laughs> <laughs> as you can tell from my book, but I, I canvassed this group and only a couple people responded <laughs> at all. And, and there was like a few hundred on it. And um, I interviewed one gal and I spent a couple hours with her. I wrote up her interview, but you know when you can tell that someone's really holding back? <laughs> I could tell that she was really holding back. And um, on the spice scale out of 10, I'd give it a three or four. <laughs> And then the next day she called me and she was terrified. And she said, you know, I'm not ready for anyone to know my story. <laughs> wow. And I thought, I guess it's time for me to share mine. And it's, it's very honest, <laughs> perhaps too honest. My book is um, genuine. And I found myself almost having to say, does this add value to the story? Um, I had a great editor. Uh, and it was humbling. It was hard to relive some of the pieces as well. Um, but you know, it's, I'm proud of the work. Sure. How long were you in the Navy? How many years? Uh, I was active duty for 10 and a half years, but I was only an officer for six and a half. So I got out as a Lieutenant in 03. Now does, and I was married to a federal agent and I know for him, the government wouldn't allow him to write a book or anything for so many years after retirement. Does the Navy have any limitations on books being uh, written? They probably do if I were like in a classified position. Mm -hmm. um, you know, like if I had, if I were one of the Navy SEALs writing a book, for example, which we've had a lot that have written books recently. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I did send it at the time, um, to one of the senior female uh, officers in the U.S. Navy. I think she wasn't the chief of naval operations, but she was like a class of 80 female grad to read beforehand. Um, you know, and I did have uh, Sharon Disher, who also wrote a pretty famous book about the academy called First Class. And um, she read my book, too, prior to publishing. I did what? get a little bit of approval, but it wasn't an official, you know, Department of Defense like, you know, sure. this is good to go. <laughs> Why do you think the others didn't respond? I think that they were afraid of being vulnerable and honest and showing their weaknesses because it was so ingrained, especially, you know, when you're 10% of a population or less, mm -hmm. right? The guys notice if you gain three pounds in your uniform let alone, you know, you're having a bad hair day or, you know, I, I, you feel really um, exposed. And so then minimizing that became a norm for a lot of us. Mm -hmm. And I, I think and I pray that it's gotten better, um, especially like now women are about 30 percent of the Naval Academy and the fleet, which is good, maybe a little mm -hmm. bit more than that. Um, but 
think about that. Mm-hmm. You know, there's 4,000 men and 400 women. Mm-hmm. And depending on how rough it is, I mean, all the guys know, knew who we were. Sure. Sure. Um, was there any fallout? Was it, did anybody push back that was official from the Navy or any of the people in your class? No, no. I Good. mean, my, my book isn't tactical. It's not like a tactical war fighting book. I would say it's more of, um, coming of age story. is how right. I call it really. Yeah. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, I would agree on that. that that's a good, accurate description. Yeah. I'd like yeah. to read it. I'll have to, yeah. I'll have to get yours and, and read it. Cause, and I don't read a lot, some of ours, <laughs> but that sounds like a book I need to read. <laughs> so what was, what was the biggest shock for you when you first went to uh, Annapolis? Well, okay. Part of it was having someone in my face, <laughs> um, like in my face. Right. Spitting, yes, spitting, yeah. yes. And, and, you know, like I, I alluded to this, like I'm not a girly girl, but I'm definitely still a girl. And, and I didn't go there memorizing any of the stuff that I was supposed to be able to spit out just like this. <laughs> and I got really good at it, but it took me a while to be able to, perform in such a high stress environment mm-hmm. and it's served me well in everything I've done ever since. Like even, you know, even when I ran the casino, I, I was like, the guys would, I, they didn't know I heard them. They're like walking off. They're like, Oh, we just adjust course when necessary here. <laughs> I'm like, yes, they heard me. <laughs> you know, like it, it was forcing myself. I like to say that it's like, I'm maybe a round peg that's being, pounded into a, a a hole that is you know two sizes smaller mm-hmm. and they kind of break you down and build right. you back up mm-hmm. and you have to decide consciously to keep the parts of you that are authentically you that you don't ever want to change right and it's easy some people you know appear brainwashed or something but i was always very conscious to be true to who i am and what i believe in and to not um compromise that and do the best I can. And so I think the biggest shock was, I mean, gosh, the things I was expected to know so quickly and so confidently (laughs) because they're training you to eventually take command of a ship. They're training you to make Mm -hmm. life or death immediate decisions Mm -hmm. um, that save people's lives or put them in jeopardy. And it starts plebe year. Mm-hmm. And it goes through the rest of your time in the service. Okay, but during that plea beer, what is this with chopped? Chopping? Yeah, what is that? Why? What is the purpose of that? She'll explain it to you. That doesn't sound okay. good, whatever it is. <laughs> okay, so chopping is um, running, basically. And when you're a plea, if it's during normal hours before the study hours, you had to run. Everywhere, everywhere inside mother b and mother <laughs> b is bancroft hall and so like if i had to go here i wouldn't do a diagonal i'd have to yell here and do a, a right angle turn like a facing movement and yell go navy sir <laughs> and then another one beat army sir and everything is in these 90 degree angles wow. and then also um i'll do it right now okay when we were eating you had to eat on the top two inches of your seat. You couldn't sit on the seat and you were supposed to eat Square. like this. Square, Square meals. Yes. And then you're supposed to make the ugly <laughs> and it's called a brace. 
And it's called have your eyes in the boat. So a 10,000 yard stare, like don't let anything just break your concentration. And, you know, some of that was hard because, you know. Well, my guess is there weren't many of you who had a double chin in there. Not many. Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, well, I mean, a lot of people do, surprisingly. Yeah, but but um, yeah. So it keeps the plebes in shape, but really, it's it's sort of like a rite of passage. Yeah. Now, were women and men segregated at the naval at, at Annapolis, or you were? I mean, no, we. It was all mixed yeah, in together. We, I mean, we had um, men and women in our company, <laughs> and so we all lived on. Uh, you know, like I, we didn't share rooms with men, but. You know, my roommates, usually there were two or three person rooms. And um, yeah, I was really lucky. My roommate was fantastic. Uh, didn't didn't have that roommate at first. Um, but when I finally got her and she got me, we would, people would say, gosh, how's the roommate situation? And I'd be like, I have the best roommate ever. <laughs> <laughs> She's like family still. That's She's good. wonderful. She's out in Seattle where my daughter is at UW. She's a, my daughter's a freshman at UW and my old roommate, Kimmy and her husband, who was also in our company, um, they live in Seattle. So it was perfect. Nice. Nice. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah, I, I was seeing, and I don't remember what year it was that the Citadel started letting women in, but I can remember when all that was going on and the very first woman who went, went totally unprepared, like, I don't even think she'd run a half a mile in her <laughs> life and got there and made an embarrassment out of all women. But then the second one mm-hmm. that went there was pretty, pretty ship shape. And uh, actually I think wound up even being class president or wow. something. So, uh, you know, the women that, that do this, my hat's off to you. Cause I, I'm just telling you somebody in my face yelling and screaming, I'm going, <laughs> no, I don't think so. I'm going to head to the house. I'm out of here. <laughs> so I admire you for that. You. Well, honestly, I think the biggest thing is learning to have confidence in yourself, to learn something that would seem nearly impossible at first, do the work, put in the effort, and then find your own voice. Mm-hmm. And I remember, like, I was probably one of the only people to graduate without spending time on a real ship. And when I didn't spend time on the real ship, and then I got out to surface warfare. <laughs> wow. Um, my commands almost sounded like soft question marks at first. And you would never guess that, you know, and it it was very quick that it became a rightful rudder, steady on course one, two, zero, all engines ahead flank for 30 knots and no questions. But you know, I learned so much about myself because it wasn't intuitive, it wasn't easy for me, and it wasn't something I grew up with. Right. And it was ingraining myself not only in the culture but instead of do I want to stay here because I almost left my plebe year because and, uh, uh, um, the academics were hard mm-hmm. I didn't really have to study in high school I always have very good grades and I was a division one athlete and taking 21 credit hours and all of a sudden you know the the professional knowledge on top of it and you know, you couldn't just eat your food. You had to know certain rates, like everything from what's going on in the world to your chain of command, top to bottom, bottom, any, they could ask you anything. And if you didn't get it right, right, they'd be in your face. And it's, how do you not take it personally? Sure. How do you pick out the pieces that 
perhaps can help you improve without like thinking you're a piece of shit, right? <laughs> and and be able to, you know, keep moving forward. And I think that my attitude is what always helped me, even though like was my military bearing the best? Perhaps no. <laughs> I mean, could I do it? Yeah. Actually am I really good at it? Yes. But it didn't start out that way. And exactly really hard. what was your job on ship? Oh, gosh, I ran every division in engineering at one time or another. Um, so I was AER and MPA, so auxiliaries, electrical, um, main propulsion, and um, the engines. And so, you know, I, I, and repair division. And so I ran all of those divisions at different times. And then we also um, decide to, or we train our officers to know the whole ship so that they can take command someday. So then, of course, I also stood watch on the bridge. So I had to know the navigation and the operations and all the tactical stuff, as well as um, officer the deck. And so when we had those collisions at sea, I think it was 2017. Okay. We had two collisions back to back at sea. Mm -hmm. My heart just sank because I knew my steps even, you know, in the event that there's a constant bearing decreasing range target coming at you. You see a Christmas tree. It's not, you would see this thing 10,000 yards away <laughs> and have more than enough room to maneuver a Navy vessel. And it was heartbreaking to think about two o'clock in the morning, you know, 2,000 gallons per minute of water going into a birthing compartment. Wow. And I think one of them was the McCain mm -hmm. that was hit. Mm -hmm. Um, and it didn't have to happen. Mm. Wow. That's yeah. tough for you. You were still in at that point, right? No, I you was out. out. I was very removed. Okay. I was definitely removed. However, um, it's still part of me, right? Sure. Right. Sure. Did you know any of the people that were on there on either Not ship? on that ship. Okay. I mean, more, more with some 9-11 attacks, right? Mm -hmm. Like I was, I had just gotten out and a, a lot of my classmates, most of them were still in. And then the, the classes I trained were absolutely all still in. Um, you know, there were a lot of people at the Pentagon uh, when that got mm -hmm. hit. Um, there was a time I thought I might've been called back up too, because I got out in 2000. Okay. So that's why right. I keep forgetting yeah. you're 50. I keep, I keep dying. I'm surprised they didn't call you back in. Yeah, uh, they did not at the time. Um, I was in school too. I was teaching MBA. Mm -hmm. uh, okay. I finished up at Great Lakes too, the Navy's only boot camp. And I ran the graduation ceremonies there. And then in the end, the physical fitness program, which I really, I really actually enjoyed that a lot. And you really see a cross section of our country. Mm -hmm. And um, they're so young. But <laughs> you see, like, really a, a good idea of our country and the people. And um, a lot of the kids, when they were coming through 20 years ago, and now especially, there weren't cell phones as much then. It was mm -hmm. just the beginning of cell right. phones. Yep. They used to talk about people's uh, thumbs. <laughs> working on a joystick and playing games um and so like a lot of the the young kids coming in they had brittle bones from not 
being outside, not running, not exercising. Um, and so that was kind of interesting because sure. uh, to see how we've become more sedentary mm-hmm. as a as a culture. Yes. And kids aren't playing outside and they're not riding bikes all day or checking out, you know, see it, see it when the sun goes down, Mom. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's, right. Um, that's that's not the norm anymore at all. Not In at fact, all. you're almost considered an irresponsible parent if you let your kid have some yeah, of those freedoms that right. we took, you know, for granted. Sure. Yeah, I remember I didn't come in till the street lights came on. Yeah. And that was expected and that's what we all did yeah interesting what was the the most fun part oh gosh I absolutely loved um I only got to do one deployment but I did a unitas around South America and I loved experiencing the other cultures working with the other navies um and that particular cruise we did operations with every navy around South America um, and so then because I speak Spanish, I got to um, be the translator between the pilot and the captain. And then the pilots would bring me home to meet their families. And I really got an authentic experience. Um, hmm. That was pretty great. And I'd have to say a lot of the people, you know, the people that I developed relationships with at the academy and some of them in the fleet. But, you know, like my best friend, um, one of my best friends is one of my classmates and we've been in each other's lives for 30 plus years. And, you know, those are the kind of connections that you don't skip a beat, even if five years go by. Right. Five years don't go by with her, but. <laughs> um, you have one conversation. You know I mean? It's like if you guys haven't skipped a beat at all. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Which is special. And I think that happens when you bond over difficult things. Sure. Like, <laughs> like 45 degree rolls. On that? Yes. Oh, that oh. sounds fun. <laughs> that was scary, actually. Uh, uh, we were off the, the um, Gulf of the Pena, um, in the Straits of Magellan, where the Straits of Magellan go into the Pacific um, off the coast of Chile. And um, it means Gulf of Pain. And <laughs> up until like 75 years ago or something, um, the waves were so massive that they could overtake a ship and her engines would drive her to the bottom of the ocean. Yeah, so the water came so, over the bow and oh, then yeah. it just force them right down. Unbelievable. Ohio, yeah, that, yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah, that doesn't sound fun a bit. Um, how many, you know, you were talking about 10% of the Navy when you were in was female. How many females were on the ship with you for that? Uh, well, my that ship, I got there as the first and only for three months until we integrated. And then we integrated and, and maybe we had 20 or 30 at the time out of, um, we didn't have female Marines because we embarked an entire Marine unit too. Um, and that was 200. So we like had 500 sailors, like 250 sailors, 300 sailors, something like that. And then another 200 Marines. Um, there were not any female Marines that embarked with us, uh, for this cruise, but, um, between the officers and enlisted, like I was the senior officer until um, change of command. And then we got one of the first female commanding officers. And she was pretty great. Um, she was classy and someone that I really emulated in her style. And, you know, that tough but firm um, kind of leadership style that you can have confidence in and, and not feel 
like someone's going to mow you over either. <laughs> how was that, though, being the only female there for a while? How were you treated? Mostly well, I would say. I, I kind of felt like, you know, like their sister, <laughs> like the guys in the wardroom. Um, but there were things that still, you know, I, I didn't really realize until a lot later um, weren't okay. Mm -hmm. You know, like there were definitely some times that weren't okay. <laughs> and I assume oh, you write about that in the book. I do. I do. One of the things that I used to pick up, pick out and read when I, I was doing a lot of book readings, there was a case where I was getting my engineering officer of the watch and, um, it was one of my last qualifications. And usually you would go in, in a board and they would ask you questions and like anything was fair game. And, you know, how could you handle being barraged with questions and things you're supposed to know is pretty stressful. But the last part of this was a live drill where you fight the ship and, you prepare for if anything, you know, were to happen. Like if you had a leak in number one engine room and a an electrical fire in number three, and then, you know, you've got an oil oil leak and then you, you know, like you're, you're practicing for anything that could go wrong so that you know what sequence of um, events you need to follow to keep the ship safe, to um, not sink and, and to save the ship. And so we, we practiced that way. And in the past, when we were doing these drills, they were maybe, you know, we would do two or three drills, four drills, maybe in like half an hour or 45 minutes. And they were nice and easy pace when we were practicing. And then um, I got in there and I, I felt pretty good. And my senior chief, which, you know, that's a pretty senior enlisted rank. Um, it's an E8. And he was uh, you know, the, the senior enlisted engineer. And then the captain was on the, the earphones as well as a couple of other pretty senior guys. Uh, my boss and, and I walk in, I said, good morning, senior. And he looks at me, he goes, good morning, ma'am. You're going down. No fucking broad's going to be EO on my ship. <laughs> and he looks down at me and I don't know what came into me. I was like, you yeah. <laughs> know my shit bring it and they brought it in fact um we did 12 drills in like 30 minutes Jeez. cascading intense and super super stressful like somehow my mind was able to do what i needed to do Not and um one of the best things for me was um earning the respect of my people mm -hmm. and you know I was the kind of leader and I am the kind of leader where I believe that, you know, let me advocate for you, but I need to know what's going on. Um, and I didn't do, you know, I didn't ask them to do things I wouldn't expect of myself. Right. And so, uh, one of my engine EN ones engine engine men first class came out and he was dripping in sweat because they're all <laughs> running around trying to save the ship. And he like pats me on the back. He's like, that's the best drill set I've ever seen, man. Really? <laughs> and you told the guy in your face. <laughs> yeah. And, and then I passed the drill. So that was, that was great. But like, I, I didn't know if I was going to pass that. It was, sure. I certainly didn't expect to be completely like, you know, barraged with stuff so quickly. Um, and then real world. I did have situations on the bridge where very quickly, all of a sudden, 
you know, you're not fed the information fast enough. And all of a sudden, if you don't have a situational awareness and know what's going on, it's easy for it to run away from you. Yeah. Sure. And that's scary. Sure. Especially and, you got over 500 people on that ship. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And you're responsible as the officer when the captain's asleep. So you, you go through that big cruise all around South America. Um, and if I remember right, you also had quite a few problems during that cruise with the ship, right? In fact, going through the Gulf of the Pena, um, if I remember correctly, we lost an entire port shaft <laughs> and the anchor chain. Um, we had someone on a harness through this terrible, terrible storm um, on the bow of the ship trying to save the other anchor because we lost one of them. Jeez. And he was on a harness with water just right on top of him. Um, and then I think we had a Class Charlie electrical fire at the time, too, and Anything literally that is not tied down becomes a complete missile hazard. Yeah. Um, and, and to be on the bridge, just to give you a, a good visual, it's like the bridge is doing this. <laughs> yeah, you so said there was you, like 45 degree rolls, right? I mean, that's no, that would be scary as hell, <laughs> I would think. Yeah. yeah, no, it was scary as hell. And so with these 45 degree rolls, um, our U.S our us you know off like boardroom and and um the crew you know were very very focused right right <laughs> and then we had embarked chilean pilots and the guys are on the bridge and they're flip-flops you know <laughs> oh my gosh like totally different mindset than than our u.s navy which right. was interesting i got the privilege or had the privilege of being um embarked on a Chilean tank landing ship too. And they had never had any women on board and they were amazed that I could go up and help the captain with navigation and down in the engine room. And um, they let me light the plant off in Spanish, which was very interesting. And, you know, it, it was cool because um, I had definite appreciation and respect for the way that we do business and right. in, in our country for that, like the training we have. And I'm sure they also gained a new respect for you and for how, how much knowledge you had the training that, you know, you were able to do so much that they weren't, yeah. you know, yeah. used to that. I'm sure. It so, was a really, it was really special experience. Yeah, I bet. I think that would, that would have been fun all except for going through the straits during the storm. I, I wouldn't have liked that, but the rest of it sounded pretty interesting. That's for sure. So now you're, Towards the end of your career, um, what is your final decision to, to say, okay, I'm pulling the plug? On the Navy? Yeah. Um, I guess I decided to bet on myself a little bit and see what I could do in the business world. I was looking at that, and I had a really hard first, first tour. My first tour was rough. Um, I'm not going to lie. It was really rough right. for me. Um, and I think, you know, your captain sets the stage a lot for the environment and the mood and the temperature, I'll call mm -hmm. it. Um, a lot of them didn't know how to handle women being out at sea. They weren't prepared for it. And it was cutthroat. It was the kind of environment like this is a great, exciting job. Where <laughs> else in the world do you get paid to travel around the world, right. have immense leadership experiences at the age of 21, 
millions and millions of dollars worth of equipment at your disposal and the ability to hone your leadership skills at such a young age. Right. And instead of harnessing that excitement and realizing this is an adventure, um, it felt like everyone was just cutthroat and out for themselves and not helpful and stabbing each other in the back. And that was hard. I mean, not all of them, but um, I felt like I was under a microscope with everything, whether it was what I chose to go for my run in outfit wise mm -hmm. to the way I said something, the commands I gave or, or anything. It was, you know, I felt like we were completely under a microscope, sure. especially during that time period. And um, the way I left that ship was a little challenging, not going to lie. Um, <laughs> I, I had gotten, I had gotten actually in trouble and um, I knew that even though it had been expunged from my records, um, it really wasn't. Right. Somebody else knew about it. One's going to forget about it. Right. And so, you know, would I ever have a chance to take command? Would I make mm -hmm. 06 and a full bird? Maybe, but it would have been major uphill because I had a small blemish on my record, even though I was an excellent officer. Right. And, you know, and I was in the military. I joined the Air Force in 84 and went and was a security police. Um, you know, and I remember we didn't have a lot of females in uh, the military police career field, but we did have some. And like you, I, I know that they felt like they had to prove themselves constantly. They were always under the microscope. And, and you know, like for me, I was always under the impression that you give everybody a fair shake and let them prove themselves. If they prove that they can't do it, then they can't do it. But let them prove it themselves, you know. Um, and that wasn't always the case, even what I saw back in the 80s, you know, in the military. So, I, and I'm sure being one of the first females on a Navy ship, that that was a big change um, for those Navy enlisted and officers, you know, to, to go, okay, yeah. we have to, you know, and nobody like, at least military wise, they don't like change, you know, unless they're directing that change. So yeah, I could see that it would be pretty tough. But now I know you had some problems on that first ship, um, but then when you're now almost getting out, you're, you run back into one of the other officers, right? Uh -huh. And I think you were pretty much surprised by, by this person, right? I was so surprised. In <laughs> fact, he was my XO, my executive officer on my first ship. And I didn't, I thought he didn't like me at all. And he wanted to cherry pick me and have me be his, um, chief, chief engineer of his, and he was getting a brand new cruiser at the time, I think, or an Arleigh Burke destroyer, which at the time was, you know, a brand new state of the art class of, of ships, which right. is not anymore. Right. But um, he was getting ready to take command and I was running the graduation ceremonies. And so he saw me and stopped me and sent me an entire package. Like we'll pay for the rest of your grad school and you can do a year where you just finish grad school. You don't even have to work for the Navy and then come be my chief engineer. And this is what it's going to look like. And I really thought about it because it was an immense, um, I, I mean, I, I, I mean, it, it was an honor to be right. even asked. Sure. Um, but then in the back of my head, I'm like, 
I was a graduate assistant for two professors. I was <laughs> about to get out. Um, I was getting my MBA and um, I kind of had this feeling like even if I've done incredibly well every step of the way since, would that always come back to haunt me? Right. And sometimes I think, unfortunately, whether it's, you know, in the police force or the fire department or the Navy or the military, it, it can follow you. And um, I just decided to uh, follow it through and get out. Yeah. Well, I, you know, it's a good decision. It's, I, I was the same way. I, I spent nine years, nine months in, and I was like, if I go over 10, then I, I might as well just stay. So do I want to get out? Do I not? What do I want to do if I get out? Where do I want my life to go? And that's a big decision, you know, because there's a lot of security being in the military, you know? Right. So, well, and I knew I wanted to have children someday, and I didn't want to be yeah. gone six months of a year, which is what <laughs> happens in surface right. warfare. And yeah. I saw like my commanding officer, and she was amazing. And I had a very frank conversation with her where I could tell that she felt guilt for not being with her son. And yet, here she was doing this amazing job um, and in a groundbreaking role at the time. Yeah, it's pretty impressive. Yeah, it is. But still, felt like she couldn't win. <laughs> yeah, and I could see you know having the one you know little blemish in your in your file, basically. Even though, like you said, it was expunged, somebody knew about it, and I could I could definitely see how you would feel that could come back to bite me. Um, so I, I you know I it, it was it was a good idea for you to get out. I think. Um, Especially yeah. you're 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 so driven. I mean, you know, when you're going through your MBA and you're doing the uh, graduate assistant for two professors, uh, weren't you also like uh, planning to run a marathon and do a triathlon? I mean, you're like crazy. Yeah, I was training for a marathon and um, Mrs. T's triathlon, and I was getting out of the Navy, and I was a graduate assistant for two professors. I I was juggling a lot yeah. and holding all the bear, all, all the balls were in the air <laughs> safely and managed to, you know, I landed my plane. I kept my eye on the ball. There you go. You didn't have a choice. That's for sure. So right. did you run right. your marathon? I didn't run the marathon marathon. I injured, I got injured uh, literally um, two weeks before to the point that running like five or six miles started to hurt. And then yeah. like two miles hurt. Um, so I rested for that. I did do the triathlon and, um, I did a trip around the world as well. Right. So I got out of the Navy and I went to Bangkok, Bali, Australia, New Zealand, and Fiji. And I believe in, um, serendipity and sometimes the synchronicity of special (laughs) moments. Um, I had one of those moments, um, when I was in Thailand and I had watched the movie broke down palace with Kate Beckinsale and Claire Danes. And I was really worried about being in Thailand because of what happened to those two in the movie. And I'm working out in the gym <laughs> and the girl I was traveling with, with was sleeping and I'm like pounding it out on the treadmill or doing something. And, and having been an athlete, the, the physical side was never hard for me. Right. I, I thrived off of it and enjoyed it. And I noticed this guy that was running on the treadmill next to me and he had um, our, D, our BDU shorts the little brown right. shorts that our Navy SEALs wear. <laughs> and I'm like, you're military, aren't you? 
And it turns out he was the chief of police guarding the royal family. Wow. And so he said to me, um, why don't you why don't you get your travel friend and meet me in 45 minutes? I'll have my driver pick you up for the day and show you all the best parts of, of Bangkok. Wow. <laughs> what an opportunity. And they did. That, yeah. And great. it's really about recognizing a connection and then following through because yeah. so many times you connect with someone, you like them, you say, Oh, I'll call you. And you never do. And I believe in taking that last step or the next step because really beautiful relationships can form. And so he took us to the Royal palace. He, um, helped me negotiate with, uh, in the garment district there, there's a lot of not, not only Thai, but Indians. Mm -hmm. So there's a split population. When I was getting a bunch of suits and a dress made, uh, I was planning to get married actually on that trip. Um, and so I was getting a dress made and, and he helped me negotiate. And if you could imagine, like usually the tie are kind of petite, right? Right. This was a six, five tie guy and they don't really like get ruffled too often. They're very like kind and gentle. And, and he's like saying, fuck you with a smile. <laughs> <laughs> and he totally took care of it. Um, we got to ride an elephant and feed the alligators. I think they're alligators. Maybe they're crocodiles there. Um, hold the tail of a, of a massive tiger. Wow. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was great. And then, you know, the culmination at the very end um, is all of his people came and had dinner with us. And they ordered everything on the menu. Jeez. And it was this huge table with this exquisite food and I just felt blessed. It was pretty great. <laughs> yeah. What an opportunity. That, that's for sure. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. So yeah. are you happy about your decision to get out? Most of the time. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's um, how I, I still feel know, the same way. Yeah. I would say, um, it was the right decision for me. Right. Do I wish that I had played things differently? And, um, you know, there have been a lot of times I, you know, you wish you could go back and undo a decision. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. But then I still wouldn't, I wouldn't be who I am. And we're the sum of all of our experiences. Yeah, I, I agree. And I mean, it's, I, I commend anybody that goes in the military. I think it's a good way to get your start in life. Um, it, it molds you uh, to be a better person, I think. Um, and yeah, I think, I think you had a good career. You did, you were groundbreaking being one of the first women on ship that, that had to have been, you know, just mind boggling for you at the time. So, um, but yeah, your book was great. Uh, again, called girl at sea. Uh, it was a good read. Um, you were, your life story is pretty amazing. Thank you. Um, so I guess we should probably wrap this up now. Um, so if I know that you started, uh, you're in a new business now. Uh, so if, if anybody wants to contact you either about your book, um, how would they do that? Yeah. Um, well, they could contact me through Wish Rock Relaxation. I also have an author website and um, I am on Instagram as well as Facebook as well. Um, and I'm happy to help however I can, because sometimes I think we need more 
healthful hands. There's exactly. too much tearing it down yeah. every day. Right. And um, I think that, you know, sometimes you can be the spark plug for someone else without even realizing it. Exactly. Yeah. Your shared experiences could map somebody else's life out entirely different. So. Yeah, I'm happy to help however I can. Um, and, and so on Instagram, um, it's Wish Rock Relaxation. And then uh, my author site is Joanna Spertel. S-P-R-T-E-L, Walters.com. All right. Well, thank you very much again, Joanna. It was a pleasure having you as a guest on um, Fight in Progress today. Um, for all of our listeners, um, I just want to remind everybody um, that if you are struggling with some hard times that you're going through, you can reach us uh, whenever, 24-7. Uh, um, if you, Our phone number is 855-889-2348. And if you hit extension one, um, let it ring because it goes, it keeps switching through to the first available uh, stress coach. So let it ring. Somebody will answer it. If you want to speak to Susan directly, you can hit extension two. If you want to speak to David Cohen down in Alabama, you can hit extension three or extension four for me here in Phoenix with Susan. Um, also, Susan's phone number, if you want to get in touch with her, is 334-324-324. 3570. And uh, during the daytime, she says always text because she's probably with a client or somebody. Uh, at night, you can call, not a problem. If you want to reach me by uh, phone, my cell phone number is 480-861-6574. I want to give a big um, shout out to all of our military um, active duty people that are that are out there keeping our country safe. All of our veterans, thank you for um, everything that you have done for our country. Um, also, all of our police, fire, border patrol, um, you guys are, are amazing, and we couldn't have America without you guys. Um, and then the last group is all the families of all those people. Um, the sacrifices that the families make is tremendous, um, and not always uh, know what to do or how to handle a situation. It's a very thankless job. Um, but families, we're here for you. You can call us and we can help you out any, any way that we can. Um, so thank you again for listening. Thanks, Joanna, for being on our podcast. God bless you all and God bless this country.